thank you all for coming. It's good to see you all here. And so we're in the book of Romans, um, Romans chapter 13. So I don't know if our screens will be working. I know they've been having some issues, but if not, I hope you have your Bible. If not, I'll read it to you. But we pick a book at a time, and we go through it a verse at a time. It's called expository preaching, where we let God pick the topics and the subjects, and we go through it one at a time, and it's been super practical for us and always been super relevant <laughs> for whatever's going on in the world to have God pick it for us. And we're in Romans 13. Um, Romans 12. Yeah, I tell you, I'm in Romans 13. And I start with Romans 12. In Romans 12, it told us how we are to act, how we're to behave towards fellow Christians. Uh, because he's done a whole, up until chapter 12, he's been just making sure that we were soundly saved. You know, he makes sure we're thoroughly lost. He make, tells us what salvation is. Uh, he shows us that we are thoroughly saved. He tells us the confidence we can have in our salvation and the, and the strength and the power that we have in it, that we have God behind, behind us. If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, Romans 8, you know, is a great crescendo for Christianity. We get to chapter 12, he tells us it's our reasonable service to serve him. You know, it's, 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 it's reasonable for us to do this. And he tells us how churches behave and how to, we're to behave one towards another. How we have our gifts and we're to use our gifts. And that's why we assemble. That's why he tells us as the last days come that we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Because it's when we need each other the most. When we're under pressure, when we're under uh, things going on, when the world is evil and things are going dark, we need each other. And so we need each other's talents to work as a unit. You know, we're not... You know, Lone Ranger Christians, you know, we, we are a group in this way. And so, and then he tells us how to behave towards our enemies. And that's not what we want, you know, like, oh, punch your enemies, lay a trap for your enemies. And no, love your enemies, be kind to them that are persecute you. You know, heap coals of fire upon their head with your kindness, with your love. Whew. That's when we know that this is a supernatural thing that's taking place within us, right? Because our flesh is like, I don't do that with my enemy. I fight my enemy. He's like, no, you show them kindness. And if you have any kind of retaliation, you make sure that it's a godly retaliation that they have no response to, that all they could say was, well, that was good. So we think about it long and hard before we plot that, you know, whatever it's going to be. And so it, it's hard. And it kind of really hit hard at the time we were going through it. You know, I had a lot of you being like, well, thanks. Glad you read that this week, you know, and kind of, well, but I hope that put the wind in your sails. And apparently it was enough that we're thinking about it, right? And then it tells us in Romans 13, we start out how we're to behave with our government. And it's not always the answers that we want. <laughs> you know, it's like, how, oh, yeah, you, you you, you submit to them and you, you pay your taxes, boo, you know, and, and, and you make sure that they're, you're a good citizen. He tells us that, and we spent a whole week on it, and then we got pretty deep, and that's last week's message is online. You can check it out. I think the overarching principle is verse 8 here. That's where we are this morning. It says, verse 8 says, Owe oh, oh, no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another have fulfilled the law. I think it's the overarching principle that covers all of this. It covers how we're to treat the church. It covers how we're to treat fellow Christians. It's how we're to treat our enemies. It's how we're to live and, and to treat our government with love. And I don't think it's the frou-frou lying around, oh, we just love you. We show it. It's action. It's not just saying it and putting it that way, you know, because sometimes you could put it in a way that's off-putting, but it's not off-putting when it's genuine. And when it's genuine, it's when you truly care and you truly show that you care and it's backed by it and they know that you care. It's not just something that you're saying to, as a platitude to get you off the hook. People know when it's real. You know when it's real. It's saying to be real. He talks about debts here. Owe oh, no man anything. 
And so, are we not supposed to have any loans? Uh, maybe a little bit. I think he's talking about that a little bit. Uh, I think it's in reference to, you've got to continue, kind of remember what Christ said in Matthew 5. In Matthew 5, he says, give to him that asketh of, uh, ask of thee, and from him that would borrow, turn not away. So he, apparently he's okay with borrowing a little bit, that you're lending and borrowing and one another, helping each, each other out, that is there. But you also have to have it against um, Proverbs 22, where a rich man ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is the servant to the lender. We all know that. You know, we've got to go to the bank. You know, we've got to go to work because the bank needs the money for the house or the car or whatever else that we got. And so you're a little bit constrained in that, and we want to be free. And it's truly great if you can be debt-free. But most of us don't have $200,000 laying around to make sure we blop it out and get it there. You know, but we want to be wise in, in our stewardship of what he's given us. And so and I think that's talked about here a little bit. Don't get yourself so bound up that you're, you can't do anything because you're like, I got to work to pay for all these things that I bought. You need, you need to be kind of released from that, you know, by watching the, the debt load that we carry. I, I think verse 7 talks about paying our taxes, you know, rendered to those who are in these positions and do it full time that God has established. God established government. We talked about that, that last week. Uh, through capital punishment, that was the first uh, installation of government when man would rule over man, is that he puts them with the death penalty, saying if you kill somebody, you know, they are to be killed. And so he talks about that and I think it was Genesis 9. And so we pay your taxes, pay your way, be a good citizen, that you owe no man nothing in the sense of, hey, this makes you an upstanding citizen. So I think we can look at it in that way as too. You know, we want to make sure we're not going around like, there's the deadbeats, you know, the deadbeat Christians over there. No, we want to make sure that we're paying our way, being good standing. Uh, I think that's kind of a given, right? It's almost the expectation, even from the world, and should be among ourselves, that we would be the outstanding citizens, that we would be the good employee, that we'd be the good student. Why are you acting up all the time? Don't you go to Cornerstone? You know, we don't want that, right? We want to use the fact that, hey, I go to, go to, I go to Cornerstone. I represent a church. I represent a group of people. I represent my Savior. I want to make sure that I'm good. I want to make sure that I'm right. I want to make sure I'm behaving in a way that is decent in there. Let alone I represent my family. You know, so that should help motivate us and guide us and be a, uh, something that helps steer us. But, but I think the main point he's pointing out to us here in verse 8, to you and me as Christians, I think he's wanting to tell us that you carry a debt, that we all have a debt that we owe. And I think even Dave Ramsey says it's okay to have a house loan, right, and a car. You know, there are some big debts that you have to have, and you want to pay on those and get them down for sure. Like I said, we just can't drop it off all at once, but we make those in installments, and we're faithful to those installments, and that makes us a faithful person and you know, part of society too. I am paying my debts. I am paying them regularly. I'm staying on top of those things, but it's in installments. And so, yeah, we try to pay over and, and stay on top. But Paul is saying here, you owe an installment of love. You're never going to pay that debt. It's never going to be like, well, I did all I could do. I was kind, kind long enough. Now I'm set free. I can be a jerk to everybody. It's not that. You know, it's that you owe everyone kindness. You owe everyone love. That we always have a debt of love that we owe them. And so just think of it as like I have an installment I got to pay each and every day, each and every month, each and every year is that I need to love my fellow man here. We have an installment payment of love. Like Jesus says, we're to love them as we love ourselves. I'll tell you this. I make sure, sure Brian has what he needs. <laughs> I make sure Brian takes care of Brian. That's my wife. You know, <laughs> no, it's like we, we, that's, that's given within us, right? I make sure I have plenty to eat. I make sure that I'm comfortable and warm. I make sure that I can get where I want to go. You know, I, I can make sure of all those things, that I'm clothed, that I, that I have all that. And so I don't want for much. 
I make it a priority to take care of me. And he says, that's how we should look at others. Hmm. Do I do that for others? Not like I do it for me. But that's the standard I should have. He goes to the law here in verse 9. He says, uh, for this thou shalt, uh, for this thou shalt uh, not commit adultery. Sorry. Uh, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. If there be any other commandment, it is uh, briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Um, we need to make sure we're feeling God's law here. The law of making sure we don't sin. This is the law of I treat me pretty good. I need to treat others like I treat me. And so, do I do that when I'm driving? Do I have the patience with the guy in front of me? Not always. But should I? You don't know what they're going through. You know, maybe they're having trouble seeing. Maybe they're uh, got something going on. I, I don't know. Do I have that patience when someone's serving me my food? Where is it? Don't they know I'm starving? I couldn't close the church till two. Come on, give me my, give me my tacos. Uh, is that it? Do, do I practice this all day long, every day, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year? Do I love like that? I'm supposed to. I should. And I know some of us might be, um, love thy neighbor as thyself. I'm going to have a few Pharisees here thinking, well, okay, yeah, I, I'm uh, looking for a loophole. How many houses down is my actual neighbor? You know, is it uh, the house right next to me? Is it four houses down? Is that it? And that's the limit? If I knew three people on either side of me, is that good? Or do it, is it just the one right next door? Well, if you turn with me to Luke, Jesus helped us out. Luke chapter 10, familiar story. Matter of fact, it's almost a crucial story to participate in society. I mean, we try to kick God out of everything, but we use this story in the news. A local Samaritan does good, stops and helps. You know, so this is the Good Samaritan story. Luke 10. Let's just take it from the master himself. Luke 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. So he gets it. And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and you shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, Who is my neighbor? So then Jesus gives us the story of the Good Samaritan. Let's pay attention. A certain man, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest, ah, one who intercedes, one who helps people. And the way when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, oh, the tribe the priest come out of. And he was at that place. He came and looked at him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, an enemy of the Jews, 
as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him, and bound up his wounds, and pouring oil and wine, and set him on his, uh, on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave to them of the, of the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these thinkest thou was the neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus to him, Go, and do thou likewise. So a Jewish man leaves, and a Jewish priest comes and doesn't get involved. A Levite comes, the tribe from which the priests come, and he doesn't get involved. And the Samaritan, the enemy, does get involved. So who does Jesus tell us our neighbor is? It's our fellow man, right? Our fellow earth dweller. It's not just somebody who lives in Jerusalem or somebody who lives in Trafalgar or Franklin or Johnson County or Indiana, United States. It's like some people. People are it. I think some of this and how it affects us today has to do with the government. And I think mainly because the church forfeited its job. And so the government started doing things. And now we say, it's not my job, it's the government's job. So if it was, the, if it was that same story for us today, I, sometimes I worry about how that would play out. A man falls among thieves. He's stripped of his clothes and he's wounded. He's badly injured. I mean, badly injured. He's left half dead, it tells us right there. What would we do if we saw that? Because we'd be in our car, right? Where do we walk? You know, from the parking lot to Walmart. You know, so, that's, so we're in our car, and if we saw that, would we be like, the, the debate would start, right? Do I call 911? Or surely somebody else saw this, right? And they called 911. I don't want to jam up the lines. Is the guy behind me calling? Maybe they called. Surely that guy called. Do they? they take his phone? Maybe he just kind of naked. You know, do, so, so do I, do I or don't I? I'm, I'm not quite sure. And I'm, I'm not sure how this was going. So surely police are coming, right? And EMT, they're professionals. What, I might injure him. What if the guy sued me if I went over there and turned him and I saw him naked and, and whatever else might happen? Or maybe I moved him wrong and I put his back and so I don't want that to happen. Maybe there are government agencies. My taxes go to pay for these government agencies. Maybe I should just pray for him. Oh, look, donuts. Mm, let me pull in and forget all about them, right? I'm afraid that might be all too true. I'm afraid I might be guilty of something like that. Like, poor guy on the side of the road. And, and I think we do live in a blessed time where we do have services. We have trained professionals like we've never had before. People with skills and ability and a system that gets them there and gets them there in a hurry and can get them where they need to be. That is great. But are we not still Christ's? Are we not supposed to still be his? Are they not still our neighbor? Do we still owe that compassion, that comfort, until they come? And maybe after they come, does that not still on us? Do we not consider that anymore? I guess that's what I'm taking from the text this morning. Why, how much have we shruffed off that we need to put back on? Why is the church not relevant in our society anymore where it's dying out? It surely is. This is because people are like, what do you do? Well, we stay in our cozy little box there in Trafalgar. We're not called to stay in a cozy little box in Trafalgar. 
We're in the world, but not of it. We're to be out and about, mixing it up. Last night, the theme of our, our, our dinner was, and they shall know us by our love one for another. But it didn't stay there. It's love for one another that then goes out. How do they see it unless we're out with them? This isn't a commune. We put up a wall and we all stay here. We're to go out. Uh, we can be involved until the pros come, right? We can make sure that 911 is called and get over there and pull over and like get down to the car and whatever it might be. We can pray with them until it's there. Make sure, has, has someone been called on this? Is what's going on? And, and be invested in them until the prof professionals take it away and then know enough who they are that you can follow up in the hospital, come back in. Hey, how's it going? Man, I'm glad you got the care and the concern. When they get released, to come by, like, welcome home. Have something for them. I, I think that's how we're supposed to behave. I think that's how we should be doing it. You know, then we follow up afterwards, and when they're done, you, you might make a friend. You know, we, we might have a bigger impact for Christ if we would do that. Is it risky? Sure. Any relationship's risky, especially when you're walking up to a stranger, and, 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 but they're in their worst day. I sure would want somebody to do that if it was my child sitting there hurt or my wife that was having a trouble in that way. I would want a Christian to come alongside and pray for them and intercede and make sure care got there and had compassion to make sure they're in the right hands and properly uh, cared for and protected until there. There's no other harm coming to them. Someone who could shelter them or warm them, something. I think that's the hands and feet of Christ that we're to be. Paul's not calling us to easy. Christ doesn't call us to easy. He never does and never did. He tells us, take up your cross. You know, we're to have empathy. What if it was you? Wouldn't you want someone to intercede on your behalf? Wouldn't you want somebody to help you? Sure. You know, we are ambassadors from heaven. Who else? Who's better qualified than us when someone's having their worst day to come down beside them and say, hey, I'm here. Can I help? What's the worst I could say? No, go away. All right. Then <laughs> you're released. But yeah, I think we're supposed to do that. Verse 10, he says, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. I'm not changing our minds here. How are we supposed to think? We're supposed to think with a love mindset. You're like, um, okay. Love is patient. No ill will towards your neighbor. How many people hate their neighbor because what? They didn't mow their grass right? The ball got in your yard? Oh, tragedy. <laughs> First world problems, right? Have their porch light on. Music a little too loud. How dare they have fun over there? Don't they know I live here? <laughs> have a little kindness and grace and command. Love is patient. Love is kind. It envies not. That jerk got a boat. What's he doing with a boat? You know I need a boat? <laughs> Maybe you're nice to him, you can go on a boat. But envieth not. It doesn't boast. You don't try to outdo your neighbor. You're not keeping up with the Joneses. You're living your life. You're letting their live theirs, and you're happy when they have something good, and hopefully they're happy when you have something good. It's not unseemly. You do things on your property in care and concern for your neighbor. Oh, they must be having fun. They can, 
they can use my yard if they want to, or I'll keep it down a little bit, and yeah, make sure you got room to park, and be in communication. Maybe they'll invite you sometime. <laughs> Not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Love is not sinful. Love rejoices in truth. Finding out the truth, knowing the truth, representing the truth. Love beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. And there's a lot wrapped up in that. Love never fails. In case I did a horrible job, that's 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. You think, oh, Christians in the love chapter. (laughs) What of that sounds easy to you? (laughs) It's right. It shows us there's a supernatural work within us that we have a desire and a want to do that. And then when we do that, that shows that the Holy Spirit's dwelling within us, that we were able to perform a task or a deed in that way. It's nothing to pat our back on. It's just to say, like, man, maybe the Spirit is working in my life. We should do these things. It's a debt that I owe to all men. For how long? Your whole life. Your whole life, it's a debt. You know, we owe no man anything but to love him forever. Hint, for eternity continues on in heaven. <laughs> we love one another, and we get along there. And so, uh, yeah, we're supposed to be kind of fleshing that out now. Like, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How, how's it going to be in heaven? You think it's all fighting and arguing about, hey! the mansion you gave him is bigger than mine. He's like, he did more. <laughs> so, so you know, deal with it. So now we're going to be fighting in heaven. We'll be encouraged. Great, well done. Now good and faithful servant will say to our fellow man and see them in rewarding and like, man, you were so good. It's not an example. I wish I could be that example. But we have that opportunity now. Love is fulfilling the law. Love is what we do. That's what we're called to. That's what he's been telling us here from chapter 12 on, putting our Christianity into activity. We are to hate and abhor evil. That is for sure. Because we love our fellow man. So we hate evil and we hate evil coming to our fellow man. It's why we cling to what is good. We want good for us. We want good for our fellow man, for our brother and sister, our neighbor here in Trafalgar, Johnson County, and Franklin. It's a supernatural power. It is a supernatural power. Because it ain't us. It's from him, and we are his soldiers. You know, we're in a war. I think we sometimes forget because it's kind of a kind war, right? Because we're kind of blind to it often because we don't have eyes to see or ears to hear because we choose to keep ourselves busy outside of the front lines. We forget we're in a war. That's the devil doing his job well, right? It's information war. It's a big part of it. He's going to make sure you don't get the information to inform you that you're in this war. So he's going to distract you and detour you. You're going to be like, I'm not, I'm not fighting on a front line. I'm over here occupying myself. We're still playing cards in the barracks. But you know there's a front line out there that there's an action that is happening that you need to be in part of? We are soldiers in a war. And it says that they will know us because our love one for another and our love for our neighbor, our love for our fellow man. We need to wake up to that fact that we are in a war and that we are soldiers. We need to be active. I think we've coasted long enough. And that's not just me. That's Paul, verse 11. And that knowing that the time that is now high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. It's not just me, it's it's Paul. And this is a uh, imminency verse. Uh, Imminency is a doctrine that we 
church has is that we believe that the return of Christ is any moment, any time. Nothing precludes it. Nothing has to happen. It's not like, well, the beast isn't here yet. No, that would be the second coming. The second coming is different than the rapture of the church. The rapture is when God comes and takes his saints home. He calls them up. We meet him in the air. The dead in Christ rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall meet up the Lord in, in, in the air. The second coming, he comes down to the earth. That's the battle of Armageddon and all that. We avoid that because we're with him. We're on the good army side as it comes back. And so there's nothing that we're waiting for. There's no, no box that needs to be checked. Matter of fact, anything that needs to be happening to show that we are close is happening right here, right now. Israel's back in the land. We have trouble in the land. We have wars and rumors of war. There are earthquakes in diverse places. We have the abomination where they are trying to get us to stop eating meat, and they're trying to make us start eating insects. Mm, yum. Uh, and so we have all kinds of things going on that, that they are watching, and they are preparing, and they are doing. And uh, I have a whole podcast about it that we go into detail. But we, we can see the time is coming close. So... There does come to be a point here where Paul, he is believing just like this. He is intimate for, intimate for him as well. Imminent, that's what I'm trying to say, right? Um, because he writes many times, so he, goes, so he will come for us, and then we shall be gathered together with him. And so Paul was expecting it in his lifetime, but there does come to be a point, and a lot of people use this as an argument against imminency, where he realizes that he's going to die. He understands, it's like, God has told me enough that I'm going to die. And so he begins speaking that way. Okay, the rapture's not going to happen while I'm alive. And so I know I'm going to do this. So I start preparing Timothy, young Timothy, you know, to be prepared. And he, and he writes letters to do it. Uh, so there comes a point when he's not expected to be raptured. But he writes all these writings as if because we're still reading them in real time. Our salvation, our rescue is nearer than when we first believed. It tells it right there in verse 11. It was in Paul's day. It's surely true for us, right? I first believed in 1978. Yeah. I was 13. Yeah, as you start doing math. I was 46 years old from the future. 46 years from the future now, you know, here and now. So in 1978, I've now traveled 46 years since I've been saved. It's a lot closer now than when I first believed. And I thought it was close then. I thought it was like, Phew. it's one of the things that drove me to him. I watched a, a movie at church called um, A Thief in the Night, you know, and I was like, well, if they came back, I'd be left behind and God would be just and I would be stuck in this evil world with the devil running the place and I don't want that and it drove me to salvation. And I thought it was bad in 78. Now my wife's sitting, sitting here and talking about, man, I wish our kids could raise their kids in 1978. <laughs> the glory days, the golden age, you know, when things was great, you know, we had bell bottoms, they get stuck in the chain on our bike but we didn't worry about being kidnapped and we could go wherever and do whatever. They could play evil Knievel and they could have all the great toys that we had. I, mean, oh, I still live in 1978. I still have, well, I mean, I do. <laughs> and you know it. If you've been to my house, Brian's got a toy room. And so my grandkids said, Grandpa, you got a lot of toys. <laughs> I do. And they're for you to play with as well. And so, um, Evil Knievel Stunt Cycle, it's coming out this summer. But uh, yeah, it's, it's closer than we've ever believed. And so, do I hide in a commune? Because I see that it's getting closer. Man, it's getting close. I want to make sure that I'm good and I'm right. So I'm going to sit here in this box and I'm not going to do anything. You know, because uh, do I bury myself in a bunker? You know, like, oh, the Lord might come. I need to bury myself in a bunker. No. I'm not to live afraid. I'm not to live like, well, I might make a mistake. I might say the wrong thing. I might do the right thing. I might sin. You might. Chances are I'm going to tell you. You will. He's not done sanctifying us yet. We've not been glorified yet. So we're going to make mistakes. We're going to go through hard things. We're going, to go, we're going to experience life. We're to experience life. We're to live as if it could be any moment, and we're to live as if it's 100 years away. And it's, a, it's there as a tool to, to help us 
realize we might be standing in front of him at any moment, at any time, to make sure that we are living right. It's to help us. It's a rule that we're always measuring against. could be today. So don't be doing what you shouldn't be doing if Jesus was to come today. Don't be reading what you shouldn't be reading if Jesus was to come today. Don't be talking about or telling a story that you shouldn't be telling if Jesus was coming back today. That's what it's supposed to be doing. You know, if we're saying, well, what if I say the wrong doctrine and I go the wrong way and I just want to sit home and read my Bible and do that? That's the guy who buries his talent in the sand and said, I was afraid because I know you're going to come back and judge me. He's going to be, you slothful servant. I had you alive in this time to do something. At least go along with somebody who's doing something and partner with them, but you didn't even do that. He's telling us to be active. If you've ever wondered, well, what do I do as a Christian? What am I supposed to do? Probably one of the most common questions as a pastor that I get. What am I supposed to do? Well, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you what Paul says. Wake up. That's what you're supposed to do. Wake up. We know the time. No one knows the day or the hour for sure. For sure. We don't know the day or the hour. But man, we can tell the season. We can see the season. And I can tell you this. In my 46 years since I've been a Christian, the signs are increasing at a rapid rate. My wife and I were talking one day. She goes, I remember in church all the time, you know, like a big deal would happen. They'd make a film. You know, it had to be a film. You know, you'd bring out the camera and they'd have a projector and put it up and they talked about salt one and salt two. Times are getting close. You know, the piece of cords and salt one and salt two. Anybody remember talking about salt one and salt two? You don't know what it's about, but we remember what was going on because we were kids. You know, all these things happening. Now, I tell you what, I could, I could spend all day and I fill up my phone, you know, screenshot and headline after headline after headline. There are things that he warns us about that we just see going at a rapid race. Right. Matter of fact, he says right here, wake up out of your sleep for now, uh, <clears throat> for now is our salvation and everyone believes. Well, right before that, he says, so now it is high time. It is high time. Um, high time means a, a certain definite time, a, a season or a moment. So it's a specific time, the, the end time. High time, as we see it, time, the time is approaching, we are to wake up. So if anything now, it's like it's, it's getting near, the time is getting closer, we need to be rolling down the car window and smacking ourselves in the face. I need to be awake to what is going on. I need to be alert. I can't be just in a, in, in a stupor uh, going through life, you know, walking like a zombie, like time to make the donuts, you know, as we get going and then do your job day after day after day. No, we need to be active and alive and stop dreaming and do something. That's what he's talking about here, you know, because... Uh, I have a very active mind, and so I dream a thousand dreams a night, and you know, but uh, I'm not getting anything done. <laughs> it's, like, it's like sometimes I'm running in place in my dream, and so I need to wake up to get things going. Um, except the battle of the blankets on Sunday morning is the hardest one. You know, I got to get up and go to church. And, you know, Elaine says, quit crying. You're the pastor. You know, you gotta go. you know, so we got to get up. We got to go, and, and to get there, do what? We're, we're to proclaim the gospel. That's what we're to do. We're to be the church. We're to be doing that until he comes. We're to use our gifts, one with another. Fellowshipping, so we know how to use our gifts. Some have encouragement, some have giving, some have, you know, prayer, some have teaching, some have instruction. Oh, we gather together and we use those gifts. We're to abhor evil and stand against it, resist it, call it out. We're to be active and in this world, know enough that is going on. We're in the world but not of it. We're not a church that just talks about random things and hope you apply the you know, content or discontent. Which tent do you live in? And I hope this applies to your life and you go out. That's fine, that's great, you know, but I'm calling you to real world things. I'll bring up real world topics. We talk about things that are going on in the world and I try to have some answers where it is or at least we try to puzzle it out together because we're to abhor evil we're to resist it we're to call it out we're to say no we're to say stop we're to cling to that which is good and we try to support that we take a ministry a month and we support it we support our missionaries we try to make sure we are doing something for, for that 
God's sake. We are to love our enemies. We're to pray for them. We have right now as our, uh, as our monthly thing, we're um, praying for uh, our elected officials. They need it. They need it. We need to one, pray that they would have a heart like we would have for topics and, and things for sure. We need to pray that God would do a work in their hearts and those who are standing for good, that they would continue to stand for good when they feel alone because oftentimes they are. What do we do as a Christian? We're to be a good citizen. You know, not the thorn in their flesh, but a good citizen. If it's a thorn in the flesh for good, then yes, do that. Be the woman knocking at the judge's door and he finally like, I'm going to deal with it just so it'll go away. That's fine. <laughs> We're to be consistent. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we do all this with Romans 8 as our backing, right? Where we have God is for us. Who can be against us? What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. No creature, no aliens, no, nothing. He, he goes through the whole list. What can pull you away from him? Nothing. So, you know, so for me to live as Christ and to die as gain is to be like a battle cry we are to have. You know, it's like we can plunge into danger knowing that no weapon formed against us so prosper. You know, they can't kill me and separate me from God. I'm going to, if anything, they take me to him sooner. Uh, we're to trust him and love him to, and to do it, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Time is running out for us. How much longer do we have? I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. Uh, the Bible doesn't give it as a date. It doesn't tell us. How much e more evil will it get? I don't know. But I can tell you this. The birth pains have gotten rougher. And I expect they're going to get rougher as the day gets closer. It's not like we have smooth sailing and all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're there. Uh, ask any pregnant mother. Is that how it was? Oh, nine months of bliss and then the baby was here. And so it gets rough towards the end, right? You know, it really picks up and it gets intense the closer you get right to the time when it's finally like over, you know, and the baby is here. They seem to forget everything that's happened. So I imagine we're expecting pretty rough days. I... Actually, if I'm, I'll, I'll tell you how I think. I, I think it's going to be the book of Acts. I think we're kind of living the book of Acts in reverse because that's kind of how the Bible lays out. You know, we start with Genesis. We end with Genesis. You know, where everything gets restored. And in the book of Acts, Christians were martyred. They were martyred for their faith. It was the seed of the church, they said. Do I want that? No, I don't want that. I don't want that at all. I'm not have martyr syndrome. I don't want to have my faith tasted in that way. I hope it's sooner than that. I hope it's sooner than that for America for sure. But I know this, hard times makes better Christians. Hard times make somebody who studied their Bible more. Hard times make somebody realize what is good and what is right and what is this fluff. Hard times drive us closer to him and to each other. Do you think, would God do that to us? I think so. I think he wants to give us reward. I think he wants us to have glory so that we can put it back on him. I don't think he wants to get us all here. He's like, well, I'm disappointed in you lot. <laughs> you had an opportunity, you did nothing. I think that he might put us in a little bit of a heat so that we can drive and do something good. I think he would do that enough to kind of stir us up. He's enough to love us enough that he would move us and however it would take to move us. He's a good father and he wants to reward us. So I think some hard days are here and coming. But I think, if anything, we're going to have a better eternity, right? Because the harder it is here, the more we stand for him, the better your eternity will be because it is a reward system. It's not all the same for everybody. But he tells us time is running out. Matter of fact, Paul puts it this way in verse 12. The night is far spent. 
The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. He says the night is far spent. This world is darkness. We spent our whole life in the dark because I'm pretty sure when we get to heaven, we're going to be like, oh, this is what the day is like. Uh, when my dad was dying, that was some of the last words that he said that we cling to. He's like, look at the colors. Look at the lights. Like, Man, what was he seeing? I don't know. I want to see it. Was it like a blue? It's a blue. Like, don't you see that? Yeah, it's crazy. You know, so it's, we're living in the shadow lands. That's how the Bible puts it. We haven't really been in his presence, in the light. And so the day of his blessed appearance is at hand and at any moment of the rapture of the church. So Paul says, I know what. Let's get crazy, you and me. Let's you and me cast off the works of darkness. Let's be radical Christians in that way, right? Let's, uh, let's quit looking like the world and look like him. Uh, let, let's quit acting like the world. And put his faith into action. And we're going to love our neighbors as ourselves. Let's quit thinking like the world. And let's transform our mind. You know, capture every thought daily. And bring it into captivity. And, and we'll start thinking like him. And about how we can do whatever we do for everything that we do. We can quit planning worldly things. And plan things for him to proclaim the gospel. And get it out there. Paul's like, let's get nuts with it. Right? He says it right there. He says, um, now the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. And let us put on the armor of light. He's like, let's just do it. Let's just do it. And I know it's crazy. I know it's not, but let's put on that armor of light. Man, we read about our armor in Ephesians, right? In the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, the gospel boots, sword of the word, prayer, the knife in the boot, I like to call it. Did you know it was light? I mean, I just like thinking about it being armor. That's pretty cool. I got a whole soldier back here. If you've never looked in here, we'll pull him out, Christian soldier. <clears throat> I like having the armor. He says, your armor is light. There's no headlamp on it. You're light. You're funny light. And wherever the light is, the darkness flees. And so stand up and be a Christian soldier. Be suited up and ready. And where you arrive, darkness will flee and darkness will cower. We stand for righteousness. We cling to good. We abhor evil. And God says, I'm fighting the battle for you. You just be there. Represent and stand up. Resist the devil and he will flee. You know, we need to suit up, soldiers. We need to strap on all this, this armor of light that we have. We need to report for duty every day. I'll tell you what, the chances I have to opportunity are the days that I'm looking for an opportunity to witness for Christ. When I'm prepared, when I have tracks, when I'm ready and I'm armed, I'm like, well, there's somebody who doesn't have a track on their hand. There you go. And the eclipse track's been a great one right now. I've, not anybody say, I don't want to hear about a stupid eclipse. They're like, oh, I heard something about that. Where are they going to be? Why not get one from us? You know, where it also gives them the gospel and tells them that information. Is it big? Yeah, I could have made it a little chunky book. It would have, so this is something you can keep and get a hold of. I can fold it in half. I put a line in the middle and everything. But to get it to them, so let's, let's, let's look for an opportunity. Let's not wait for an opportunity. Well, no one just landed in my lap and said, will you tell me about Christ? Has that happened? Sure, sometimes, maybe. But most of the time, we're the ones with the ready answer for the reason of the hope that lies within us. We're the ones taking it out to them. Verse 13. So put on the armor of light. Verse 13. Let us walk honestly as in the day. Not in riot, rioting and drunkenness. Not in chambering. That's, uh, I think we know what that is. In wantonness. Not in strife and envying. <laughs> Wait a minute. This is not even that high of a bar, is it? <laughs> it's like, all right. Let's just, let's just act what you and I would mostly think of like a Christian, right? Um, let's be honest. 
Christians should be honest. He's kind of Christian. Let's, let's be honest. Let's, let's take some of these bold steps. Um, living in the day, like everybody sees what we're doing. Let's do that all the time. Uh, not in rioting. Let's not, let's, let's, let's not you know, go around and, and start fights everywhere. Not in drunkenness, you know, because the Bible allows for you to drink, but not drunkenness, you know, so most of us abstain from any appearance of evil, but he allows for that. Not in chambering. That's a lot of intercourse outside of marriage. Let's not, let's not be doing that. You know, uh, he's telling us here. Matter of fact, there's other lists I can look at that tells you things. Um, wantonness, strife, and envying. Verse 14, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ah, we put him on like a suit. That's the armor that we're putting on. You put on Lord Jesus Christ like you are representing Christ and you are being Christ and that people are going to see you as Christ. You know what? You'll behave different. If I am Christ and he's in me and I'm representing him and people are looking to me and what they see in me is going to be what they think of and how they reflect about Jesus Christ, I'm going to behave a little bit differently. So put on Jesus Christ. Realize that it's his righteousness. And make no provision for the flesh. We don't plan on it. We don't put something there to tempt us and to test us. and to do. Don't go to that place or don't come to that area. And, and don't watch that thing or whatever it might be. Don't click on that button to fulfill the lust thereof. Um, I had a good definition of that. It was like the lust thereof or basically by the time you fulfill the lust thereof, you've lost the shame of everything. And that's kind of where our society is. Our society's lost the shame. There used to be things that weren't spoken. I'm, early 70s, you didn't say the world pregnant out, you know. She was with child. You know, you didn't pregnant was like kind of a vulgar word. I mean, I can remember having a youth group lesson about that. My teacher was like, you know, I'm, that's kind of vulgar. But now we say that. But we live in the post-Jerry Springer generation where they're all like, I did some pretty gross and weird and strange things with all my family members. Can I have a TV special? They're like, well, yes, you can. And they'll put it out there and they sell it to everybody. There's no shame. No shame. We should be. We're going to stand in front of God one day and tell you what, you're going to feel. You're going to feel shame. So he says, Christians, let's make sure we're not doing shameful things. Let's make sure we're doing good, decent, honest, right things. Let's live our faith in front of people in a bold way and proclaim the good news of the gospel of Christ. Let's be soldiers walking about looking for an opportunity to soldier, you know, to, to fight a battle, to resist evil, to stand against it. I guess it's a militant evangelism in a sense. Let's, let's make sure we proclaim the good news of the gospel. Let's quit being silent. Let's wake up. Let's wake up to our responsibility. Wake up to our duties. Let's wake up out of our stupor. Let's serve the Lord. Let's honor him.